0: Hey, Stranger Rangers! This is Bree. This is Fatina, and you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back.
1: <laughs> we obviously have too much fun before we start recording. It's fine. It's yeah. better than
0: us hating each other, that, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh my God, I hate doing this that podcast with you. Can you imagine if this was a job? Actually, that would be pretty cool. I was going to say, but, actually, I would love this to be a job. I'm sorry. I meant like if this were a job and you're just paired with like a random person.
0: Oh, yeah. And like,
1: go make it work with them. Like, no chemistry. I've had coworkers before where I'd be like, I would rather do the entire job of myself and like, wear myself out on a job then Literally, work with that person.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I've worked in way too many like small restaurants yeah. and then there ends up just being like two of you at the end of the night and you're like I fucking hate my life yeah. right now. Yeah. Or in the morning. Whatever. Anyways. Um, <laughs> it, it's just you know but I'm glad it's you. Yeah. We have good chemistry as they That's say. True. That's yes. True.
1: Like so, chloroform. Just kidding. Like <laughs>
0: With that's deadly. better for you. With deadly, no, we're I'm just deadly.
1: kidding.
0: <laughs> wow, we also think we're very punny. Yeah, super punny. Yeah, ha 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be singing this full case for you guys. Damn it. Um, sorry. I know you're all really looking forward to it. So what to are doing it? today? Um, this is the murder of Becky Dillard, and this takes place in Moody, Missouri. And as I was doing Moody. this, I guess I haven't calculated it, but I feel like for whatever reason, a lot of my cases end up either taking place in Missouri or there's something <laughs> in it about Missouri. So it's totally not intentional, but a lot of stuff seems to go down in Missouri for whatever reason. I... I couldn't I mean, tell you.
1: I I I know very little about Missouri too. I've been there once. Same. I just happened to you, you know you know why I needed to be there, but it's like I saw the city and then we went out to the we went out to the sticks. Like yep. that's exactly. all I know.
0: <laughs> exactly. I didn't even see the Ozarks when I was in Missouri. We were like That's in Missouri. I have no yep. girl, I have no <laughs> idea geography and me, no. But yeah, so I mean, not, not knocking on it, not a bad thing, but also not intentional. But here we are back in Missouri. So Becky Dillard, a little background on her to kind of build you a little picture of her character. She was born in 1985, and Becky was one of those girls that always stood out from a crowd. She wasn't one of those people that was like seeking to be the center of attention, but people were just drawn to her. And I think we can all kind of think of somebody in our life that was like that. It kind of makes me think of one of my best friends, Brandy. She oh. just like has this energy and she's so beautiful yeah. and she doesn't strive to be, I wouldn't even say like the center of attention necessarily, but people just like gravitate. She's just fun. She's just fun. Yeah. yeah. You you want to be around her if she's in the room. So it kind of sounds like Becky was like one of these people. And in addition to that, she also got lots of attention from the boys,
1: and this, mean.
0: I mean, you know, <laughs> and this is like kind of like in her high school, you know, young adolescence, high school years that we're talking about right now. Um, she was always very put together, like from a young age, she was one of those girls that liked to do her hair, she liked her clothes to match, and everything always had to be like done. perfect, you know, yeah. she never left the house. Looking at looking a hot mess. I do
1: not relate to that. <laughs> not at
0: all. I mean, the fact no. that I showered this morning <laughs> and my hair is brushed. I was like, I have to shower this morning because I just saw you two nights ago, and I can't go to her house with the same messy bun that I had my hair in two days ago. Also blaming that on being a new mom, but that's also that was not uncommon before being a mom.
1: That's why I changed shirts too. Yep. Yeah, so- <laughs>
0: Glad we're on the same page. Yep. Yeah, I was like, I need a shower, fresh deodorant, and to make my hair look different. <laughs> just what a little Why are we trying thing. to
1: impress each other? I don't know. Whatever. We just Try need to... a re- we just need a recording sweatshirt. So that there way we go. We yeah, we'll
0: never know. We'll never know. Like this is a new messy bun. <laughs> this isn't the same one you <laughs> saw two nights ago. But um. You know, while capturing the attention of boys, she did capture the attention of her classmate, Justin Dillard. Now, that last name might sound familiar to you from Becky's. They do eventually go on to have a relationship and a marriage. Yeah, okay. Justin was very similar to Becky in that aspect that he always liked to really look nice and put together. So, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, they were two good-looking people. They both really liked to look nice and put together with their clothes and their hair. And, like I said, they did begin a relationship, but this wasn't until after they graduated high school. Oh, okay. And just, like, they were, like, kind of best friends, you know. What year was this? This was, I want to say, in, like, 2003-ish, we'll say. 2003, mm. okay. 2004. So like, pre-Instagram couple, but they were that. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Justin totally felt like he had won the jackpot with Becky. He was just head over heels for her. He even quoted said, I knew that I could never do any better, and I was very lucky to even be with her because she didn't even know how perfect she was, but I Aww. did. So... So sweet. That is very sweet. We strive to have somebody feel that way about us. We do, though, but we do. Yeah. (laughs) By we, I mean people. People in general. Yes. Yes. So soon after their romance began, Becky found out that she was pregnant. They were expecting their first child, and their family was so excited for them, even with them being, you know, a young, newer couple. They at least had known each other for a long time, were friends for years before they started a relationship. And Justin's mom in particular, Deborah Dillard, was over the moon excited to be expecting um, a grandchild from them. Her and her boyfriend Billy even made room in their own home for them to move in to come and live with them while they started this family. And Deborah, furthermore, was super looking forward to helping care for her grandchild. Oh, of course. Yeah. At that. Totally. She had a career as a charge nurse at a nursing home for years. So, you know, she really knew her stuff as a young mom and dad. I'm sure they felt like super excited that their mom having. There's, I mean, not only
1: is grandma going to be a great option, but then grandma has all this medical background.
0: No one's safer. You could leave your child. Exactly. You could not dream of a better setup. And so they were, in addition to that, really excited to have this support because they were both going to school for cosmetology. And so, you know they're saving money on childcare. They were
1: both going to school they for cause.
0: Yeah. How cool. They came have their own
1: salon and stuff. Exactly. Oh, how cool. I know.
0: So in May of 2005, they welcomed their son Kobe, and Becky and Justin got married in Deborah's backyard 3 months after having their son. It was super cute. I mean, they had Kobe walk down the aisle with Justin to meet Becky there and That's cute. just just such a cute little family moment, and their whole family was like a team. As Deborah helped with Kobe's care, um, Justin and Becky were able to finish school, and they both got jobs at local salons. Cool. I think they ended up working at the same salon. It was a it was a really really small town. So we're gonna fast forward a little bit to two thousand and eight. Becky and Justin welcomed their second child. They had a little girl and. Her name was Cricket. What? That's Isn't, so that's cute. So cute. It was spelled K R Y C K E T T. I'm like, that's very that, unique, but it's very cute. So <laughs> I was dying. I'm like, that is like definitely Cricket. a very unique name, but so, so cute. And Becky and Deborah maintain a very, very loving mother daughter relationship becky also still had her own mom around and they had a good relationship too but you know it can always be sometimes challenging with in-laws and some people's relationships so i think that they both felt very blessed that they had this really strong bond yeah exactly And although they loved and appreciated all of Deborah's support, living in her house, having her help with childcare, they had dreams of, you know, moving out eventually making enough money to sustain their own family life and getting a place of their own. So we're going to fast forward about a year to November 13th, 2009, and kind of get right into the night of the murder in this case. Corporal, Corporal Clinton Howell is asked to respond to an accident with injuries down a desolate highway in this town, Moody, Missouri. A couple had called in reporting a car parked on the side of the road that still had its headlights on. So when Corporal Howell arrives on the scene, he discovers the vehicle and a body of a young woman is laying like pretty much almost in the middle of the road. Whoa! And this was the body of Becky Dillard. She was only 24 years old at the time. Oh,
1: she's a baby. Just
0: a baby. She was DOA when Corporal Howell arrived. Corporal Howell is really a tongue twister to say. Those words do not want to form in my mouth.
1: Corporal's already a hard word
0: for Exa- me to say. I know, exactly. I think that's what kicks it off. It's like rural. It, yeah. Actually, that was pretty good. <laughs> Corporal Howell on a rural road. Rural. Yeah. Going to this accident. Um but she was DOA when he arrived, but she was still warm to the touch. So he had missed oh. what had happened, you know, by like minutes. Sure. It had just happened. So he, you know, he's he's looking around the scene, looking for more evidence. He starts by going through her car and is able to identify her by finding her purse, which is still in her car that contained her wallet and her ID. Okay. As he looks over the scene, it it's... At first a mystery. She didn't appear to have been hit by a car because there was no like obvious like damage like that done to her body. Her clothes weren't torn. It didn't look like she had taken on a big impact or anything like that. So, you know, so he's trying to. And no other car on the scene either. And no other car on the scene, you know. So he wasn't able to pinpoint, you know, that being a cause. But what he could see was blood coming from the side of her head. At this point, Corporal Hal is out there by himself, and while he waits for support, he has to shut down the highway to preserve the scene. Sure. <laughs> you know, a really small town, shutting down a highway like that out in this rural area. Like, that's kind of a big deal right. and a lot for one person to take on. But he was already able to visually rule out this being a car accident, and this was further confirmed by him finding two 22 caliber <sighs> shell casings oh, at no. the scene. Oh, Upon further inspection, uh, reinforcements arrive by this point, And while they're looking over Becky's body, they do find a bullet wound in Becky's left temple and another to the back of her head. Oh, shit. And he immediately calls for homicide detectives yeah. to come on scene. That's no car accident. No, it is not. Not unless your car, car shoots bullets <laughs> and shoot, can shoot 22s. So investigators arrive on scene and. They start to note things that are odd. So there are like about Becky being where she's at. There are no stop signs to prompt her to like be stopped in that oh, area. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The car was still running. So they're oh. like, well, she didn't really seem to like have car troubles or to crash name, Or crash into anything to, to warrant her to be pulled off on the, on the, you know, the the side of the road there. And it also didn't seem to be a robbery because her purse was still there. Right. Her pockets didn't seem to have been gone through. So they're like, you know, what the heck? Yeah. This has to be something targeted and some sort of a hit, especially with a, a gun being involved. Right. Becky was also dressed really nice that night. Like I had already said, she didn't have any torn clothing to indicate that there was like well, we already knew she hadn't been hit, right. or that there wasn't like this big like physical altercation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they also took note of the bullet wound in her left temple. So I'm gonna kind of try to paint this picture for you guys as best as I can. So she had the bullet wound in her left temple, and the and how she's laying on the ground, the blood ran from that hole like across her forehead. Okay and dripping down to the other side, which this told them that she had to have been lying face down. And whoever did this had turned her over to make it look like she had already been dead to her right side. Mm-hmm. Okay, Exactly. They also note how rural of an area she was found in very few people lived out in this area. And contrary to our last case, stranger violence is exceedingly rare right yeah and so you know they obviously believe that this had to have been a hit some form of a personal attack or whatever Because the
1: smaller the the smaller the town the less strangers there is (laughs) 100%
0: especially when you're out in such an isolated area like you wouldn't be going out that way unless you lived out that way pretty much you're not like passing through the main part of town or even slightly
1: unless you're like a serial killer looking for something hiding out in the bushes Right. yeah but other than that middle of America like there's no strangers
0: no exactly right So while they wrap up the crime scene, investigators head to the address listed on her driver's license. Okay. And when they arrive, Deborah answers the door. They're living at Deborah's house. They didn't tell her at the time exactly what happened, but they start asking her questions. You know, where was she heading that night? Did she have any enemies? Did she have problems with anybody? Et cetera. And Deborah tells them that Becky and Justin had spent the last hour arguing about a party that they were going to that evening at Becky's dad's house. So basically they were getting ready to go to this party and Justin was taking a really long time getting ready and so Becky got frustrated. It's like Pretty much, hurry up or I'm going to leave. I'm going to go without you. Yeah, I'm going to go without you and you're going to have to find your own way, which is exactly what happened. She was like, I'm out of here. You're taking too long. Justin left for the party shortly after. And how Justin got to the party was Deborah drove him, his mom. Okay. There. they had. I'll talk about this a little bit later on they only had two vehicles at the house sure. one was becky's and then one belonged to deborah. deborah um so justin did not have his own okay car there were two routes that they could have taken to get to becky's house that night and they had gone to, to, for... to becky's dad's house yes okay. sorry i got a little tongue twisted there and Deborah tells the police that they had gone a different way than the route when where they found Becky That's on the convenient. side of the road. It's super convenient. And Deborah says that she dropped she dropped Justin off about 30 minutes down the road at Becky's dad's house. So he didn't live like super close. It was no. a little bit <laughs> a lot of it. That's a stretch of a drive. So detectives immediately head to the party to talk to the family and to do a little bit more digging. Deborah must have called the house and given them a heads up that the police were on their way to talk to people because when they show up, Justin and some of the family were waiting outside for the police when when they arrived. And investigators are instantly finding Justin's behavior to be really odd because he was already grieving before they told him why they were there. Right,
1: because his mom didn't know either. They
0: hadn't disclosed anything to Debra. They just... I mean, I'm sure she assumed that something Something. bad had happened to Becky because of the questions they were asking, but they hadn't told her why they were there necessarily asking these questions. So they show up. Justin is already, like, kind of freaking out. He was assuming the worst, and... They immediately take Justin and they want to take him down to the station yeah. to get a statement from him. And he's like, well, am I being arrested? And they're like, no, 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 no. You just need to come with us. We just want to take you down to ask you some questions. you have been watching too much test for because my first response would be, should you be getting arrested? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I'm sure they wanted to take him somewhere, you know, like we've talked about, where there's the interrogation room, yeah. there's the video footage, so yeah. that they have hard, concrete answers that they can, they can back go up back onto. Yeah. Exactly. So while they take Justin, a couple of detectives stay behind to question the rest of the family, and the rest of Becky's family tells them that Justin had kind of been acting weird since he showed up to the party that mm-hmm. night. He was asking where Becky was because she wasn't there. She had left before him. So yeah. where is she? Um, and he had made a comment because she wasn't there. He had made some comment like, oh, no, like she's probably in a ditch somewhere hurt. Just saying odd things, you know. And at this that time. Is odd. Yeah. I mean, it's as we get into the story, it's it. It leaves me with question marks, and it's just oddly convenient the way that that those questions come about at that time. It's
1: just, you know, I, it, when a situation like that comes up, I'm like, what would I do? What would How would I react if I were in that situation? We were, you know, both Carrie and I were mad, and we showed up to the same place different times. My first reaction wouldn't be, she's in a ditch somewhere and say that to someone. I'd be like, well, where the fuck is she? Right. Or... Okay, maybe she did stop and, you know, I don't know, pulled over and went to 7-Eleven. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: stopped at the store and they better be bringing me something.
1: Right, but (laughs) not... She must be dead somewhere.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just like totally catastrophizing the situation. So bizarre. Coincidentally enough, you know? And like at this time, Becky's, no one knows anything at this point. And at this time, Becky's family isn't really overly concerned that she hadn't arrived yet because she was kind of one of those people that showed up fashionably late. You know, she liked to, like we talked about, be nice and put together and look presentable.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: And the police want to talk further with the family and ask if they would all be willing to come down to the station also to do an interview to see what they might be able to uncover further Mm. from them. So they they get the family down to the police station and they, again, had not disclosed any details about how they found Becky until they get them there, and then that's when the police disclosed to the family that Becky was found dead, and it appeared to be a murder, Damn. and they were just, like, in absolute disbelief. Right. So investigators are on the hunt for a motive, and they begin their interviews with the family, Again, did she have any enemies? Is there anyone that would try to hurt her? You know, what can you tell us? And the family couldn't come up with any other names than Justin. Yeah. They all, for the most <clears throat> part, pinpoint Justin. And they reveal that the couple had started having some problems shortly after their son, Kobe, was born. Oh, Okay. They believe that Justin, from the get-go, was not ready to be a father. Mm. Becky was more than ready and willing and embraced her role as a new mom. And Justin had also, at the time, began drinking quite a bit. Gotcha. So, with his new drinking habit, not really ready to be a new dad, he was also calling in to work or just not showing up. Is all that stress and that lack of motivation was really beginning to weigh on Becky. You know, she's like, I'm stepping up to the plate. I'm being mom. You're not fulfilling your role as dad. Furthermore, you not showing up to work is starting to create this gap in our finances. We're trying to save and move out or what have you, you know, kind of feels like maybe you're taking advantage of our situation a little bit living with your mom. And so it definitely seems like this resentment had started to build up in yeah. Becky.
1: Well, totally it's, understandable it's one thing to go into a situation like if she was going to go into it knowing she's a single mother and right. that's different. But when you have a partner and you're in this partnership and it's they're not meeting their end, then you just you feel like you know, you want answers of like why aren't they pulling their own way?
0: Right. Well, like, what the hell's wrong with you? Right. Like,
1: Snap you had n- out of you it. had nine
0: months to prepare for this. Right. I, you were part of this exactly. <laughs> and believe me, I get it. You don't understand what it's necessarily like until you're in it. So I'll give right. them the benefit of the doubt on that for a little bit. For a little bit, but you gotta you gotta step up to the plate. Yeah, after you know? you've had those
1: conversations of you know the the problem being brought to you, right. You need to realize there's probably... They need to do something about it. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And Becky at this time also is kind of feeling like your mom is filling in as, the, right. as this father role. Right. <laughs> More than what, what you're doing, you know? I need you to step up and start fulfilling your responsibilities. It takes a village. 100%. And this resentment only grew with the birth of their daughter. It doesn't really seem like Justin's behavior improved yeah at all and by the summer of 2009 becky was completely fed up she had revealed to her mom that she was going to leave justin and she was secretly saving money to move out Uh oh so then the family reveals to the police that this nest egg that becky had been saving ended up turning up missing one day oh no Becky's mom and her sister were the only people that knew that Becky had this plan of saving up sure. to move out. So we don't really know who found it. We just know that it went missing.
1: Oh, was it like under the mattress money? Probably something like that. Yeah. In a shoebox
0: shoved in the corner yeah. of the closet or something like that. Okay. You know. So we don't know who found it. We don't know where the money went. We don't know if anyone fully knew at the time that that was Becky's intended plan. That could have been the
1: catalyst, though. Someone found the money. Mm -hmm. Maybe Justin. Right. What the fuck is this money? Exactly. So said, you know, what is it that you're saving for? Is it to leave me? Right.
0: Oh, no. Why are you keeping these finances from me? Yeah. You know, finances are one of the biggest things that cause problems or, you know, end marriages. Absolutely. So Becky is heartbroken at this point. You know, she's been saving up all this money and she essentially has to start from scratch. Start saving every tip from doing hair again, putting away any extra money that she can muster. So we're kind of back to the interviews and specifically Justin's. They told Justin that they had found Becky dead and that her death did not appear to be an accident given the investigation. And they really couldn't give him more information than that at the time. Just that they had found her. They're trying to figure out what's going on. That's fair. Make him say it. Exactly. And Justin at this point is extremely emotional. He's upset and he agrees to cooperate in any way necessary. So again, they ask him the same questions that they asked the family. Does she have any enemies, anyone that would want to hurt her? And he can't think of anyone And when I say this is a small town, this is a town, according to him, of 300 people. Oh, that's teeny tiny. So teeny tiny, nook and cranny town. And so he's like, I pretty much know everyone in this town. I cannot think of a single person that would want to hurt her. And That's a Dairy Queen town. Exactly. (laughs) There's one Dairy Queen. One Dairy Queen. (laughs) Yeah. And it's going to be the best one that you hit in probably 500 miles. (laughs) And he insists that this had to have been done by some random person because Becky was so likable and loved. Sure. And they're like, well, we don't really believe that, but whatever. We'll let that be your story. So despite Justin denying any involvement, police just don't quite buy it. He was... (laughs) He seemed very theatrical about his emotions in this investigation, like the crying without actually shedding any tears sort of emotion, which seemed to be really forced and fake. And the police then start asking about Justin and Becky's relationship, and Justin gives them a completely different perspective than what they had heard from his mom, and the rest of the family. He says that they are best friends. He would have known if she was planning on leaving him or feeling like leaving him. They knew everything about each other. They told each other everything. Just a complete black and white, is, 180, yeah. totally skewed perception. Wow. So I think that probably looked a little suspicious to the investigators also that his account of... Their relationship. uh, Their relationship was so totally different from everybody else's.
1: Because he didn't think everyone else was going to shed that perspective to the cops and tell them, hey, we know their relationship is having problems. Yeah, absolutely. This is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what I can tell. Right. He said, no, I'm going to control the narrative. Mm
0: -hmm. But that, okay, yeah, no. And at this point, I'm sitting here feeling like Justin either knows everything or he knows nothing (laughs) yeah you know like they're like totally blind in the dark about the reality it's yes or no exactly yeah so the police finish gathering his statement and they don't have enough to hold him so they let him go The morning after the murder, the police returned to Deborah's house, hoping to stumble across some clues at the residence. They didn't have a warrant, but Deborah cooperates fully and gives police permission to search her house. And while they were doing their search, police also do a quick interview with Deborah's boyfriend, Billy Eastip. There was little information that Billy had to offer. He said that that night that Becky turned up murdered, Um, he had been drinking and that when he got home or he was, sorry, he was already home. He had been drinking that night and then he started not feeling well. And so he took some NyQuil and he went to bed. He doesn't remember Becky leaving or Deborah leaving to take Justin to the party or this alleged fight that Becky and Justin had had before she left that night. But he does, however, say that Deborah and Justin, If they left when Deborah took Justin to the party, that they had to have taken his truck because it was the only one of two vehicles at the gotcha. At the residence. Yeah. So they instantly asked Billy if they can search his truck to see if there are is any evidence or anything that can, you know, answer some of these questions. And Billy's like, Yeah, absolutely, and takes them right (laughs) out to it. Yeah. So, Billy drove a dark green Chevy pickup that had a white mismatched door on the driver's side. And this becomes very important later on. Right away during their search, they do spot some, like, dark dried spots on the interior of the truck that look like it could be dried blood. Sure. So, they collect samples of it. And they also asked Billy to come down to the station to give a formal statement, but they don't turn up really much additional information from Billy from him. Sure, yeah. He does mention That's a good alibi. NyQuil. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Nyquil. I was out. Hey, b- <laughs> been there. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's not a whole lot that Ny- that knocks me out, but Nyquil will 100% put me on my ass. Oh, yeah. Like, I need to not have plans the next day if I'm going to take nightfall the <laughs> before. I'm sleeping until noon, guaranteed. That's a good sleep, though. Oh, it's a great sleep. Your body's sleep. like, see, I told you I needed some sleep. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, during this interview, he does mention that Becky and Justin, like, kind of had been fighting in their relationship. But they do find his overall story to be a little odd. Um... It seems like he was trying to piece things together in a way that would ultimately eliminate him from the conversation. Sure. They didn't really fully believe his NyQuil story and that it could have kicked in as fast as he claimed that it did, which, on the contrary, I would argue that it can. I mean, beer and NyQuil? Yeah. It, exactly. That's double alcohol. Yeah. He, he doubled down on the sleep. But he did. For sure. They do suspect at the very least that Billy knows more than what he's letting on. But they don't have any reason to hold him. So again, they let him go. They've kind of got these like half suspects lined up in their pocket and nothing is really like Yeah. Hard pointing them in one direction.
1: Golly, like everything's saying Justin, just just Justin. Mm-hmm. And
0: they can't put him there. Okay. Not at all. So a few days later, they do get the results from the blood samples that they found in Billy's truck, oh. and they are blood, but they're not human blood. Ah, it's a hunt. damn it, small town. I know, <laughs> I know. So they're back on the hunt for a motive and something that gives them more concrete evidence. So on November ninth, on November nineteenth, this is six days after the murder. Yeah, it's pretty quick. Super quick. Police receive a phone call from a man named Tyler Bean who claims to have been on the road that night. My guess is that Tyler is the one who originally called in the 911 call that dispatched Corporal Howell to the scene that night. Gotcha. Tyler tells them that him and his girlfriend were on their way home from Walmart and getting gas. And he says that he passed what he believed to have been Becky's car on the side of the road, but it wasn't the only one that he saw. (sighs) He mentioned seeing an SUV, which was Becky's car. I believe she drove like a Ford Explorer or something like that. And he also saw a Chevy pickup. Uh Uh-oh. Both of the headlights were on on both vehicles, and he could see someone in the driver's seat of the SUV, but he couldn't make out the driver that was in the pickup or who would have been in in the pickup truck. In the pickup truck, Okay. What he does remember about the truck is it being a dark color with a light color mismatched door on the driver's side. So this is a huge breakthrough. Investigators have already seen what Billy's truck looks like. And this description matches it to a T in this tiny 300 person town, you know. So the next day they contact Deborah Dillard. She would have been the one driving the truck that night from her account because she She said, said she drove. She had taken Justin to the party. They asked her to come to the station to do a polygraph test and she volunteers she's like yeah no problem I'll, I'll come down and during the whole polygraph test she's very relaxed she seems very comfort confident and in control and when they finished the test she got up like really excited like like a victory and kind of did this like clap like okay we're done you know i'm out of here <laughs> and then the detective conducting the test walks up to her and said You knew how you were going to do on this test even before I did, and I'm sure it comes to no surprise to you that you didn't pass the (gasps) test. Was he bluffing, or did she not pass? She did not pass. (gasps) Damn. She was totally speechless, and her demeanor completely changed. She was defeated. She suddenly caves and said, Billy told me to kill her. (gasps) She did it? She claims... That what she was keeping from them that night was that Billy was the one that left the house. And when he returned, his clothes looked like they had blood on them. And he immediately jumped in the shower. Which already kind of contradicts what she just originally said. That Billy told me to kill her. But then she immediately turns around and points the finger at Billy being Being the one that left and showed up with blood on his clothes. So Debra's already, like... All over the place. All over the place. Yeah. She claims that when she confronted Billy about this, that he said that he shot her in the back of the head. She thinks that Billy's motivation to do this would have been to maintain their way of life with their grandchildren, since Deborah was afraid that Becky was going to leave and take the grandchildren away from them. Wow. So at this point, I believe... That Deborah found the money, probably oh. confronted Becky about it, and gotcha. or maybe during some quarrel between Becky and Justin, Becky had actually said something about the money. The money or, or leaving Justin. Right. You know? So before they wrap up that interview, they have one last question for Deborah. Have you ever said anything around him that he would construe that you wanted to hurt that girl? And she's like, No, I've never said anything to Billy that I wanted Becky dead or hurt or anything in any way, shape, or form. So they let Deborah go and they bring Billy back in for questioning. Okay. He comes back in for another interview. He then learns at this point that Deborah had pointed the finger at him. This is like a, such a messy family affair. Yeah, I mean, everyone's pointing the fingers at each other. Stories aren't lining up. It it confuses me, and everyone else is also.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm I'm confused. still here with you. I'm here with you. It's a little
0: it's a little whiplashy. So Billy's now in into in the interrogation Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm so with you. Deborah has basically said Billy's the one that did it. They bring Billy back in. He then learns that Deborah is the one that pointed the finger at him, and he tells him that he was there that night, but he wasn't the one that pulled the trigger, and he refused to answer who was. And then Billy immediately asked for an attorney. So somebody's trying to cover for somebody at this point. And with that, they have the finger being pointed at Billy. They have Billy's truck being there. Billy is arrested and charged with murder. Sure. And they detain him. With all of this, Deborah is still a suspect because they can't pinpoint a good motive to why Billy would have done it. What What did he have to gain of this? Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, yeah, he's the boy, the boyfriend to he's a Deborah. stepgrandpa. He's a stepgrandpa. Yeah, but the motive doesn't quite no. add up to Billy being the one that did this. So, and furthermore, with that, even the rest of. Becky's family didn't believe that Billy was guilty. They're like, hmm. he would have no reason yeah. to be the one that did this. Like, make it make sense for me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The math is not math. Yeah. So on November 21st, just 15 hours after being in jail, Billy is ready to talk to the investigators. Damn. okay. He voluntarily withdraws his previous statement. He revokes needing an attorney there, all of that. And he maintains his innocence and they press him on Deborah's involvement. That's when he tells them that Deborah was there and she was the one who pulled the trigger and he told her not to do it. Oh. He says the motive was the same. She was afraid of Becky taking off with the grandchildren. Oh. So the same motive that Deborah tried to spin. On him. On him. He's saying, no, 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 no. Debra is the one that was afraid of Becky leaving and taking her grandchildren away. So according to Billy, after Becky left that night and Debra reacted that she was going to take care of her, Debra and Billy got into his truck. Debra was driving and they chased her down on the highway and they got her to pull over, kind of flagged her down, you know, in some way. He says that Deborah and Becky got out of their vehicles and stopped at the front of the Chevy, the truck. Deborah then said to her that Justin wanted her to come back to the house to get him. You know, it was just this very innocent, like, hey, where are you going? Stop, you know, mm-hmm. come back. Justin's ready. I don't want to drive him 30 minutes out to your dad's house, you know, what have you. Becky then sighed and turned around to get into her car. And at that point, Deborah pulled out a gun and shot Becky in the back of the head. Wow. Becky collapsed and Deborah fired another shot to Becky's oh, head. Oh my goodness. Deborah turned around, got back in the car, and he told Deborah that he couldn't believe that she actually just did that. I don't know why Billy agreed to get into the truck in the first place. They drove off and Deborah dumped the gun off the highway 101 bridge into the north fork, the north fork lake. Then this is one of those like really tall bridges into a fast sure. running, you know, river river or whatever yeah. and this would have made it like totally impossible for them to recover the weapon. And the two of them headed back home for Deborah to get Justin and take him to the party. Damn. I know. Police asked Billy, when did Justin know about this plot to kill Becky? And Billy doesn't really believe that Justin had any idea that that was about to go down. Oh. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, I would find, if Deborah was feeling this, you know, this type of way, I'm surprised that that would be any secret to Justin right? about it, you know? Like, you would think that she would vent to her son, or vice versa. Right. So, is Deborah covering for Justin in some way? And so, kind of a question that I have, you know, if if Billy knew exactly what had happened and that he wasn't involved, why didn't he just come forward sooner to the police? I mean, I know this is his girlfriend, but you kind of were looking good for it because it was your truck and you kind of don't really have this super believable alibi of drinking then taking NyQuil and trying to exclude yourself from the whole equation, what have you. And he just doesn't really have a good explanation for why I was rooting for Billy. Yeah, I know. So with this statement, they still don't have any hard evidence to tie Deborah to the murder. I mean, they have this allegation, but they don't have anything concrete. But all of that changes on Valentine's Day, February 14th of 2010. And on this day, the police receive a six-page confession letter from Deborah. <gasps> she felt bad that Billy was sitting in jail. So Billy sat in jail this whole oh, time. What? Even though he had pointed the finger at Deborah. So she felt bad that Billy was sitting in jail for it and that she was the one that actually did it. And they immediately, like, beeline it over to, to Deborah's house. When they enter her home, they find Deborah lying on her bed with a pistol lying next to her. Oh my God. She's alive. What? And she reaches for the pistol. <gasps> they draw their weapons and they arrest her. They get on her just in time before she has an opportunity to either shoot herself or to shoot the police officers.
1: Or to have like a suicide
0: by cops. Exactly. Exactly. And so now looking at it, the investigators are like, that letter very well could have been perceived as like a suicide letter. Yeah. You know? And so they arrest her. They take her down to the station to question her further. And (laughs) again, another little whiplash moment. She then states that it was a false confession. Oh, shut up, Deborah. I know. She furthermore recants her original statement and says that she doesn't believe that Billy is the one who killed Becky. Oh, okay. Deborah, (laughs) you're right. This is whiplash. What the hell? I know. I don't know where this woman's mind is at. And the police are just fed up. They're like, we are tired of the lies. We're tired of the drama. Like, this is fucking getting ridiculous. Did yeah. you do it? Did you not do it? Did Billy do it? Did he not do it? Like, it, it, your Damn. story changes every 36 seconds. I'd be looking for that gun. Right? I know, but it's in this river or lake or whatever that they're like.
1: Maybe it doesn't matter. I want to know if there's like a big height difference between Deborah and Billy. Like, could there have been forensics as
0: like where the shot was shot from? There is. Oh shit. Okay. You're like to- Okay, <laughs> like totally spot on. I'm so proud of you. Okay. <laughs> so they had enough probable cause to arrest her for the murder, but they however still needed to convince a jury right that it's Deborah. So, January of 2011, they go to trial. The prosecution argues that Billy's story and Deborah's confession letter were the truth. You know, Billy's pointing the finger at Deborah, and Deborah confesses in this letter that she was the one that did it. They also present evidence that Billy is about 6'4". Oh, okay. And Becky was only about 5 feet tall.
1: Oh, that's a big difference.
0: Huge difference. And... With the trajectory of the bullet to the back of the head, if Billy had fired it, it would have gone in at a downward angle and not more yeah. straight on like they had found it. Damn. Good job. You're so on it. <laughs> it's like an electric or something. Exactly. That's crazy, though. Super Crazy. And when the defense presents their case, Deborah ends up taking the stand and maintaining that she had made a false confession and that she loved Girl, Billy please. and she was trying to protect him and what have you. You
1: obviously love a little too hard, Deborah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't can't take that away from you. No, you want to protect your people, but you weren't protecting them from anything by Not killing
0: all. Becky exactly. And none of this works. The jury finds her guilty of first-degree murder. God. In Missouri, this carries a sentence of life without parole. Oh, shit. There is no other option okay. for first-degree murder. that That is what your sentence will be regardless. And Becky's mom says that the only time that she saw Deborah cry throughout this whole trial, even though she's trying to maintain this innocence and it wasn't her, was when she got her guilty verdict. Damn. She didn't seem remorseful or sad or heartbroken about any other detail until it came down to that. Because it probably hit her then
1: that she wasn't going to see her grandchildren. And exactly that's why she did it.
0: Exactly. Ugh, gosh. Exactly. Justin stands behind his mom. No. And helps maintain her innocence to this day. He truly believes. That she was trying to save the family and falsely take the blame in this confession letter. What? And to take the blame to protect Billy.
1: Here's the thing. If I'm Justin, I'm thinking, whatever the situation is, whatever the fuck happened on that road, whether it was Billy or if it was my mom, Mm -hmm. I would take into consideration how my mom was acting when she came and picked me up and drove me 30 minutes to a party. Exactly. 100 percent if your mom had just seen someone innocently be killed right i I don't know every person acts differently but either freaking out or hiding something or anxious or something or obviously it was cold-hearted
0: it was calculated Mm -hmm. and there was no remorse exactly And no charges. I mean, they didn't really have anything to charge Justin with, you know, so nothing ends up falling on him. But I personally don't fully believe that he didn't have any previous knowledge that all of this was going to go down. Like you said, that whole drive to the party. I, I just have a really hard time believing or imagining that. There was no aggravated conversation between him and his mom about Becky and her plans to leave, or even just about their relationship, or Deborah's feelings about Becky, or what have you. Um, And for Justin to stand so firmly behind his mom's innocence just does not quite completely... Add up for me. And
1: when he was at the party, he was acting really weird, saying she's probably laying in a ditch somewhere. Exactly. Which,
0: I It's either a
1: a hell
0: of a coincidence. Right. Or... Or it's too much of a coincidence to look guilt. I-, I don't know. Or,
1: you know, either his mom was dropping breadcrumbs up to what maybe happened to her. Sure. Or what could happen to her on the road on the way to the party. Right. My goodness. Right. Yeah, he either knew something was going to happen or afterwards knew something had happened and still didn't say anything. For sure. Because it's the love of your life, supposedly. Uh-huh the one who you have no relationship problems with right according to you exactly and it's the mother of your children
0: yeah i know i think it's Chester. i think it's just wildly odd yeah so, Billy ended up pleading guilty c- to conspiracy to commit murder. Oh, shit. And was sentenced to 10 years in jail. He was actually released in 2015 after only serving five of those. Yeah. Okay. Ultimately, kind of like you were saying, Deborah's whole plan backfired. She will ultimately never see her grandchildren again. She just got greedy, and Becky wouldn't. I mean, even if Becky had saved up the money and moved out, I mean, there's nothing to lead us to believe that her intention with moving out was that she was never going to let her mother-in-law see her grandchildren again or never let their dad see his children again. She just was like, I'm not in a good relationship. I don't want to live in this house. I want to be an independent woman with my two kids and get the fuck out of this situation.
1: What's sad is that she would have had a normal grandparent grandchild relationship. Yeah. Seeing them on weekends, seeing them whenever she could, taking them out. It was just different than her live in situation. Exactly. So she thought that she couldn't have anything
0: less. That's so sad. If I can't have it all, I don't She's apparently you're not gonna get it all. Right. At all. You have zero. And she really does have zero interaction with her grandchildren. Becky's mom and stepfather, I don't know how this ended up all playing out with Justin, but Becky's mom and her stepfather have custody <gasps> of Kobe and Cricket. Damn. Yeah. So Justin doesn't even have the kids. I don't know how that part of the story ended sure. up playing out. Maybe he's not able to hold down a job. yeah. That whole thing. Um, uh, From an interview that I saw of him, I mean, he seems like very sound of mind. He looks sure. very put together, all this stuff. But, I mean, you can present yourself however you want, yeah. you know. But, um, yeah, he doesn't even have custody of right. the two kids. Well,
1: because he didn't – if he if – he, I can't – <laughs> <laughs> the the What his mother did was left him, A, without child care now because she's sure. in prison. Right. So if he was already struggling financially and now there's no mom in the picture and there's no grandma in the picture mm-hmm. to provide the child care, then he probably didn't seem like he had the means to take care of two children. Exactly. Yeah. And I can't imagine for the grandparents, too, to have to go through that battle because that's a whole nother... Set of court filings.
0: Right. And I mean, Billy doesn't really have a dog in the fight because he oh, wasn't no. married to Deborah or no, anything no, like no. that. So there's no like Justin and Billy being able to keep the kids well, he was under the roof. Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but even, you know, when he got out five years right. later, you know, there's no, doesn't seem to oh, be any so relationship sad. there. So I mean, needless to say, I think Deborah is like the ultimate um, monster in law. Yeah. Just like things went from zero to a hundred oh in this situation. You know, this is
1: coming out the day after Mother's Day, right?
0: Conveniently <laughs> enough, I do. So happy Mother's Day. I also know that this is a delicate time of year for some, but yeah. yes. Um, yeah, definitely.
1: you don't have a Deborah. You know what's unfortunate? Well, not unfortunate. It's weird that... It sounds like there were no warning signs of her being a cunt mother-in-law.
0: Like, Yeah, because her and Becky had this great relationship. Right. She was this doting grandmother over her two grandchildren. God. And the only arguments that we kind of know about are between Becky and Justin. I mean, even Becky's right. mom and sister, who I watched in an interview... They don't really disclose Becky saying, like, she oh, I'm not getting along her, with Debra. But... Um, she's, like, overbearing and oversteps me as sure. a mom to try sure. to mother my kids. I can't take this anymore. It purely seems like any confrontation was just between Becky and Justin. And Deborah is this snake in the grass that yeah. was plotting this... No, My I'm going goodness. to, I'm going to have everything that I want. Yeah, just went zero to a hundred. Yeah. How weird. So that is the case of Becky Dillard. And the monster-in-law. And the monster-in-law. Great case. Thank you.
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah, happy right. Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Day after Mother's Day. Happy first Mother's Day to breathe. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Um,
1: Hope you got uh, some treats or a mug. I don't know. Flowers. <laughs> some flowers. A cake. <laughs> right. A handprint. card. Print. Yeah, a handprint. <laughs> hand exactly.
0: Print. Exactly. I going to
1: say a handprint turkey, but that's way too early. I don't know what kids give their mothers. Yeah. <laughs> a macaroni necklace. Um, Definitely.
0: Glitter. Yes. yes. I hope you got glitter. Something with glitter. <laughs> and, uh, and Elmer's glue. Yes. Yeah, for so sure. I
1: hope you got something to put up in a box in the attic for you yeah. to <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yeah exactly
1: well with that thanks for coming around and I hope you had a chance to listen to the patreon episode um I thought it was oh yeah 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 yeah. and if you're not a patreon you can always check us out there and if you haven't already left us a review we'd highly appreciate it it helps us get out to other uh, visitors (laughs) (laughs) to other listeners um and get
0: um seen around the world so we appreciate that Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. Don't be a stranger, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Oops.
1: Excuse me. (laughs) It's a baby demon. It's a baby (laughs) demon. You want a popsicle? (laughs) You want a popsicle?
0: I don't know why that made me think of Adam Sandler. Oh.
1: It makes me think of family guy. Oh, yeah. Kids <laughs> want okay. a popsicle. Popsicle? Okay, let me.
0: Hello. Hello. <laughs> Anybody home? <laughs> Hello, it's me. Well, Adele. Okay, I'm not gonna pretend like I can sing that great. Hello. Hello. Okay. We've been talking about
1: American Idol, so we've
0: got Yeah, we better. have.
1: We, you put us in front of a microphone. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I am ready. I am I, um, never... I do not karaoke. I mean, I went out for a friend's birthday like a few months ago. I don't care. I get such bad stage fright. And I definitely... I mean, I did like choir and stuff in high school, and I don't think that I have a... T- I don't think I have a bad singing voice, but I definitely don't kill it but I get such bad stage fright if I'm gonna no. go to karaoke but the other day I've been on a country kick lately and I was listening to some Sugarland, and Stuck Like Glue came on yes. which totally threw me back to like my first or second year of college and I was like this is it. This is my karaoke song. I need That's to put funny. this in my back pocket. Yes. The next time I go to karaoke, I am doing this song. It's a fun one. I love Jennifer Nettles. And if anyone can tell me where the hell Sugar Land went, I would uh, I really appreciate know. that. Because there's, su- there's such a good country group she's amazing i don't know maybe they had a falling out but i i got off the country bandwagon for a few years so i lost touch who sings
1: uh oh gosh i don't even know the name of the song but let's just lay here and be lazy baby that's sugar Land. oh that is the yeah. song right all i wanna do ooh, 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 mm-hmm. yep yeah i have to finish it in my head <laughs> Is love you Ooh. come a little close, baby? Yeah, exactly. We, talk without the words. we should have a
0: sugar land karaoke oh night. That gosh. would be fun. Okay. okay. Well, done. All right, I'll get into my episode. Um, <laughs> I guess we're here to talk I, about murder. I guess we'll just talk. <laughs> um, oh, I guess intro. Could you sing the whole episode. Yeah. That would be great. This is the murder of <laughs> Becky Dillard. <laughs> okay, I'll do my intro. Right